Hey, good morning. My name's Nathan Loxley. Appreciate that. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And it is always an honor to get to preach God's word to you because you are my family. And it's just special to share that. Uh, I'll start off by saying this. I am certainly not worthy of doing so. Um, I am a sinner just like you are, you sinner. Um, today is going to be a fun one. It's always a fun one when I get up here, right? I always give some precursor like, man, I was going through the week and it just hit me like a brick. I want to yell at him, you know? That's usually kind of what goes through my mind. But today we're going to talk about something that just leads to ultimate joy. It is the mainstay of the Christian life. Like, if you, if you can key in today and, and pay attention, I just hope that God speaks to you today. It, it could change your life. It, it's constantly changing mine, and honestly, it's the only thing that can change your life. So we're gonna talk about a few things, but the first thing I wanna talk about is what I believe. I might get a little fired up here. Is that okay? Permission to get fired up? About to buzz that tower. I believe, believe what the Bible says. I believe in one true God, eternally existing in three persons. And I believe that he is holy and he is good. And I believe that he created this entire universe and this world out of nothing by speaking it into existence, and it was good. I believe that God created man and woman in his own image to know him and to be known by him and to enjoy him forever. I believe that man, in an act of treasonous disobedience, severed his relationship and right standing with God. And the result Through Adam, sin entered the world, and every person, every person, inherited a sin nature separating them from God. See, I believe that God abhors and justly judges sin with the penalty of death and eternal wrath. He'd probably hate this microphone too. Golly. I believe that God, this is the best part, he had a plan Existing before time to redeem his creation. One that would set right what sin had destroyed. And one that would reclaim that which was lost. And I believe that God revealed that plan through his law and his prophets. And the plan would be this, that there would be a Messiah, a beloved son, a king from the line of David, a savior. He would come to deliver his people from death. I believe that God succeeded in his plan by becoming a man born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, fulfilling all that the prophets had foretold. And I believe that this man lived a perfect life. He healed the sick, he made the blind to see, and he raised the dead. His name is Jesus. And I believe that this man, Jesus, is the promised one, the Messiah. Christ. I believe he was reviled and he was rejected and betrayed and sent to his death by those he came to save. And I believe that in the greatest act of love and obedience, that he willingly, willingly suffered and died on a cross and bore the curse of my sin and my shame in my place. I believe he endured the full wrath of God as punishment for sin, and that in his death, sin is conquered. I believe that God showed his love for us, that while we were yet his enemy, he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, making peace between God and man. And I believe by Christ's shed blood on the cross that there is forgiveness of sins to all those who believe. I believe that on the third day, Jesus was risen from the dead by the Spirit of God. And that death is defeated. 
I believe that by grace I've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not because I earned it or deserved it, because it was the free gift of God, and it's the only way to be reconciled to God, the only way to be with God. I believe that God has made people for himself, the church, that by the leading and power of his Holy Spirit, he will do mighty works, And they will live lives that proclaim his kingdom because they are his ambassadors. His ambassadors in this world seeking to redeem it and preach the good news of Jesus to the nations. This is the part I get a little pumped about. I believe that Jesus will return. I believe that the dead in Christ will rise. I believe that he'll vanquish his enemies and he'll judge every man according to his works. And I believe that those who have believed in the Son will have eternal life with God. Those who have not, condemned by their own doing, will spend eternity separated from God in a real hell. I believe in a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe that God will make all things new that he will dwell with his people on earth, that he will wipe away their every tear, that there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sin, there will be no more death. We will be his people and he will be our God and we will know him and be known by him and we will enjoy him forever. And I believe that in the presence of our mighty king, reigning with him for the rest of eternity, with every breath, and every thought and every work of our hands, we will proclaim, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Who deserves all glory and honor and power forever. Amen. I believe that. I know that's a lot of things to keep up with. I just went through like my entire theology, all right? But I believe it to be true as fact. So I've got a question. What's your reaction to hearing it? You have one. Like right now you're sitting there and you've got some kind of reaction. Something was happening inside of you, some, some. some of you it might have been like, yes. And for some of you it... Very well could have been, huh? And for some of you, it's like, man, I need another cup of coffee. There was a reaction somewhere to what I was saying. You have one. Now, based on your reaction, I think some of you believe what I just said too. Yeah? Some of y'all think I'm spot on. You know what? That makes sense because of where I said it. Because it's Sunday morning in the Bible Belt during a worship service. I'm going to get me an amen out of that one right there now. You know what I'm saying? I could say like any of those and get an amen in the most dead church ever. See, where we are right now and where I say that can determine your reaction. See, if I, I bet if I walked out on some random street corner and said the same exact thing, I'd get a pretty different reaction. Wouldn't I? You know what I would do if I saw some dude doing what I just did on a street corner? I'd be like, children, hurry, hurry, let's go. I would have a very, very different opinion than some of you had just now. It gets even better. What if I posted what I just said on social media? See, I wouldn't just get a reaction from everyone. I would get everyone else's opinion too because they're so important. See, no matter where it's said, there's going to be some reaction to it. Here's here's the more interesting question, though, to think about. See, after hearing me, what's your opinion of me? Okay, yeah. There's going to be a lot. Thank you for answering. I appreciate that. See, you have formed an opinion of me from me saying that. 
And it's a lot more complex of a, a question, the opinion of me, because your opinion of me and me saying that is based completely on your relationship to me. See, your relationship will determine completely how you will react. You're in a church. I've already said, hey, I'm a pastor, and I said this stuff. You already in your mind have started going, okay. Okay, what, it's changing the way that you're gonna react to that. It, it, your opinion of me has changed. I'm not saying it's a good one either. <laughs> See, you're gonna get different reactions from different people everywhere. I'm gonna get, if I said that in front of a stranger, completely different reaction than if I said that in front of a friend. If I said that in front of a Christian, completely different reaction than if I said that in front of an atheist or Muslim. And most certainly different than a Facebook friend. Think about this. What if, what if this whole room was filled with people from my hometown? People that knew me well while I was growing up. They'd have a different opinion than a complete stranger, wouldn't they? This is the one I'm scared about. What would the people I went to college with think about me being up here? Do you know how many times I've seen someone from college and they go, man, what are you up to now? Oh, I'm a pastor. A what? Hey, man. Me. No, don't do that. Yeah, me. Are you kidding? Yeah, man, Jesus has power, okay? Shut up. See, even family members would have different reactions because, man, they all believe different things. They all know me and have a different relationship with me. I can guarantee you that I have family members that would think I am clinically insane for what I believe. Don't worry, it's not any of the family members that you know or you see here, okay? They think I'm nuts for completely different reasons, and rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> That was the one amen I knew I'd get, but I didn't want. <laughs> See, you might be in here, and you, you might be, agree with me completely on everything I said, but you don't know me that well. Maybe we've never met, maybe it's your first time here, whatever, but you agree with me. And it's possible that you think, man, that guy's got it together. That guy, he's read the Bible a little bit. He knows what he's talking about. But see, if you do know me well, if we are friends, then you know that I do not have it all together. See, you have witnessed my shortcomings and you have witnessed my weaknesses. You have witnessed my failure. You know I don't have it all together. Thank you for still being my friends. <laughs> you might be here today and you might completely disagree with me. You might think that I'm just some overconfident, judgmental, pompous pastor who doesn't have a grip on reality. That's okay. This might be the first time you've ever been here and you're wondering, who the heck is this dude and what have I gotten myself into? You might hear what I just said and maybe this is you today. Maybe you're filled with doubt. Like, man, I don't, I'm open to hear what you say. I just don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if I can believe that someone was raised from the dead. I don't know if I can believe that someone was born from a virgin. I don't know if God would come to earth for me. Some of the stuff we believe, guys, is kind of crazy, right? If you think about it, it's a little bit nuts. So if you are here today and you are full of doubt, you're probably saying, man, how can, how can he be that sure of everything? Can, I don't even know if I can trust that guy. So I'll say this. I'm really glad you're here. Because you are not alone. See, I, I struggle with doubt all the time on a daily basis. I don't have it all figured out. And no one in this room does. But thankfully, God is patient and he's loving and he helps us in our weakness. He is faithful in our unfaithfulness. If you are here today with doubt... You are most welcome here. See, your opinion of me, of anyone's, not just dictated by what I believe or what I say or what I do, but it's also by what you believe and how you relate to me. 
See, Jesus, he definitely gets a reaction out of people. And everyone, everyone on this earth has an opinion about Jesus. It's shaped by their relationship to him. And it was a common occurrence that we see over and over and over and over in the Gospels. And we're going to look at one today. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and we will bring you one. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 6. It's just six good old verses. We're just going to start off with the first verse so we can kind of get kind of get our bearings on what's happening here. Verse one, it says this. We're gonna read verse one and two. He went away from there and came to his hometown, that's Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Now, let's just get the setting here. Jesus is in Nazareth. It is his hometown. It's where he grew up, okay? Now, more than likely, in a place like, you know, Nazareth, a couple thousand years ago, you probably knew most everybody around, right? People that lived there, you interacted with them because you probably had to buy goods for them or trade with them. To survive, you had to have a network of people, right? So people knew Jesus and his family. Most certainly, they probably did because they believed that Jesus was an illegitimate child. And Mary was probably outcast she was probably thought of as unclean. So they knew who he was, right? It says the disciples are with him, so they've come there, and we see that he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and what's he doing? He's teaching. Now here's the, here's the thing that we don't hear. All the stuff that we've read about so far going through Mark, the people in Nazareth, they got word what was going on. They'd heard what was going down. In fact, Earlier on in Mark, Jesus had come home to visit and a big old gang of people followed along with him, right? So they, they know that there's this crazy hype around Jesus and he started healing people. He's teaching with authority and that's what's happening here. And what does it say? And many who heard him were astonished. Now there's a couple different ways to take that word. There's a very positive meaning to the astonished like, oh wow, good for Jesus, look at him, he's grown up, right? And then there's a very negative one, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. So let's keep reading this. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Jose? No, it's Joseph, and Judas, and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Said all six verses. So let's observe a couple things here. Jesus is teaching. He's doing it with authority, right? They've heard of Jesus' works, and their first reaction right off the bat is what? Astonishment. Why? I can't believe it. Here, let, me, let me read it again with some emphasis. This is, this is what they said. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Hey, his sisters are right over there with us. And they took offense at him. See, their first, their big second reaction is offense. They are offended by him. Because they go, man, this is that illegitimate, unclean carpenter kid who was just really weird growing up. He came from nothing. He didn't, he didn't go to rabbi school. They didn't have money. They were just carpenters. They served us. Heck, all of his brothers and sisters were just sitting right over here. What makes him special? It's just that weird Jesus. 
See, they had a big reaction. It's funny, too, because, and he, sa- he says this in a second. He, he says that a, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Even in his own, like, household, he has no honor. Like, no one honors him and, like, tells him or believes that he is who he is at all. It's funny because his family doesn't believe it either. In Mark 3, when he comes back home and he gets all these people around him and all these people are trying to, like, hear his teachings and it's like this crazy mob that's following around, you know what happens? His mother, Mary, the lady who God chose to have the son, his son, right? The one who marveled at all these things at the manger scene, she is so, so worried that Jesus has gone batty. So her and all of the siblings run out and it says they go to seize him because he must have gone crazy. They don't honor him. They don't believe he is who he says he is. They don't want their reputation more foil. They don't want him to get hurt because he's saying all this crazy stuff. They literally were going, and if it was possible in that day, they would have put him in an asylum. And we gotta ask a question there, like, why didn't he do mighty works? And the reason I'm not gonna get into it big time is because the purpose of mighty works, anytime we see miracles and things like that in the Bible, it is to, to prove and to solidify that God, like what Jesus is teaching is real, Right? Because it's a tangible way of him proving that he, what he's saying is right. Because you could, like, I could get up here and say what I just said, and you'd be like, okay, I might or might not believe that. But if some dude walked up here who was blind and I went, and he could see, you'd be like, all right, I'm listening. But it says that he couldn't do any mighty works. You know why? They didn't believe and they never were. There's no reason to. It's funny, we hear all these stories from like these foreign countries of God doing crazy stuff. I'm talking about super crazy stuff, like working through dreams, raising people from the dead. Crazy stuff happening in other countries, and we're like, man, that sounds crazy. I don't believe that. And then we wonder why God doesn't do stuff like that around us. Let me tell you something. God's raised a few people from the dead. I believe he could probably do it again. But what does Jesus do? He heals a few sick people. It's funny, it's, it's funny he says that. He still heals some people. That's a pretty big miracle, right? Yet they still are offended and they still don't believe. And I love Jesus' response here. He's marveled at their unbelief. That's what it says. He marveled at their unbelief. He spoke supernovas into existence. He created the cell, every ecosystem, He created your body and how it all works. Heck, look at your eyeball. It's amazing. He's kind of like, yeah, I do that every day. But what really gets me, what I'm really amazed and marveled by is how they believe, how they don't believe, their unbelief. They see and hear everything that I've done and they still don't believe because of their opinion is based 100% and completely off my childhood. He's rejected in his hometown. But he still keeps on healing and he still keeps on teaching. That's what we get. But here's where we get into the meat of this. See, Jesus always gets a reaction. See, in Nazareth, it was astonishment and offense. But there's a lot of reactions that we could have to Jesus. Astonishment, offense, but fear, happiness, agreeance, hatred, love, apathy, doubt. We also have a ton of different opinions on who Jesus really was. Maybe he's just a good teacher or a prophet. He could be a nut job. And he said some really crazy stuff, guys. Like, eat of my flesh. Some Dahmer stuff right there, y'all. You might think, and some people have the opinion that he's just kind of a fairy tale, like a fable to kind of teach us good things. But according to the Bible, we can really boil it down to two distinct reactions, and it's simple. Rejection or acceptance of who Jesus says he is. And that leaves two opinions about who he is. He is either the son of God or he is a maniac. He's one of the two. He is either right about who he is, the son of God, or he is a complete, insane 
sociopathic megalomaniac, a demagogue, worse than a Hitler, worse than a Stalin. He's one of the two because the things that he says are very, very distinct, like I am God and I am the only way to the Father and he has sent me. You either believe who he says he is or you believe that he is crazy. You either believe that he is good or that he is evil. There's only two opinions that you can have about Jesus. And so that means that there's two responses and only two responses to Jesus. One is you surrender to him as Lord. If you think he is who he says he is, there's no other response than to bow down to him as Lord. And if you don't believe he is who he says he is, if you think that he is evil and against you, you reject him. The only two responses to Jesus. So I ask the question, what's your reaction and what's your opinion to Jesus? And let me tell you guys, that's the most important question that you will ever be asked in your entire life. Why? Y'all ever heard of uh, Newton's third law of motion? Anybody? Anybody? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? And in kind of that way, the Bible teaches that there's corresponding outcomes to our actions, our opinions, and our response to Jesus. If you would, turn to Matthew 11 with me. We're gonna read verses 20 through 24 here in just a second. See, there's two types of people and Jesus, here, we're, we're seeing this now as a city. He just left Nazareth where he was rejected. We're seeing this as a city. So there's two different cities and people. And the way I'm gonna put it out there, there's one, the unrepentant city or person or the repentant believer. The unrepentant and the repentant believer. So the first response, unrepentance, let's start in verse 20. This is hardcore, by the way. Then he began to denounce the cities where, <clears throat> excuse me, denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, places he'd been and he'd performed mighty works, okay? Why? Because they did not repent. Look what he says. Woe to you. I'm not gonna try to pronounce that. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, oh my gosh, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? <laughs> you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Woe is you. It will be more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than it will be for you. Do you know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? You know where we get the term hellfire and brimstone? An unrepentant city. Although Lot was able to find a few, or a few repentant people who would follow God, but it just wasn't enough. You know what God did? He rained down fire upon them and destroyed everyone. And for anyone who even looked back at the city while he judged it, they turned to salt. Swift, fierce wrath of God for an unrepentant city. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, I came to you and I did these mighty works. You rejected me. Woe is you. You wish you were Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. You wish you were. See, when the response to Jesus is unrepentance, when it's rejection, the opposite and equal reaction, the consequence, the outcome is woe. 
And I don't mean like blossoms, Joey. Whoa, no. Whoa. No, no, no. Man, when is the last time you heard that word, woe? So if you don't know, woe is great suffering and sorrow, okay? That definition can't come close to what it really means. It's torment. It's constant. It never stops. It's ultimate destruction that never ends. It is the most intense sorrow and misery. Woe are you, unrepentant city. Judgment is what unrepentance gets. That's the promise to the unrepentant. See, (laughs) yeah, he's talking about a city but what makes up that city? People. This is where it gets a little bit hardcore and I want you to stick with me because trust me, I am not speaking to you in judgment because I am not qualified to be the judge. I'm only qualified to be judged just like you. I am about to say this to you honestly because I care and I love you. This is a warning that comes from like intense desire for you to not be judged. But I will say this, God will judge those who reject Jesus. For those who see Jesus, who encounter him, who hear about him, who come to the choice of either he is God or he is evil, one of those two things. If you reject him, the Bible says that you will be judged and it will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be hellfire and brimstone. And I am not here to scare you, to get some reaction out of you, because I don't have the capability of changing your mind or making you repent or making you believe on Jesus. I don't have that power, but I am here to tell you that God is a holy and just God, and he has wrath against sin, and he will judge it. He will judge you for eternity if you reject him. You don't need to be saved from hell, ladies and gentlemen. You need to be saved from God because he is to be feared. And your sin and your treason against him, he will judge to the end. So what does the unrepentant person look like? And we need to talk about this because you might be sitting here and you're going, that dude is just on some crack. And he has no clue what he's talking about because, man, that's not me. Or man, I hate how condescending he sounds right now. Or I hate how judgmental he sounds right now. Or whatever it might be. You might be sitting there going, no, wait, I'm a good person. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I do good things. I do nice things for people. I come to church. I'm good. What does the unrepentant person look like? You you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You heard this one? Two men go down to pray. One's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector, right? Here it is. Two men went up. It's Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Here's what the Pharisee does. He stands there by himself, stands there by himself where everyone can see him, and he prayed to God like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The unrepentant person. The first response was rejection and unrepentance. But the second response is this. Repent and believe. You hear that? Repent and believe. Just a quick, just quick poll here. Who likes to hear the word repent? Yeah. You know why? Because your flesh in its very nature wants to reject everything that God is. Your flesh wants to be your own God. That's why you hate that word. Word's not a bad word. We're about to get to that. But the second response is this, repent and believe. To repent is this. You might not know what that word means. What is Repentance. It's to turn away from, all right? 
I repent of you. Repentance. Simple way to say it, to turn away from. And in this case, when we're talking about all this stuff, what are you repenting from? Sin, but really more than anything, this, yourself. The idea that you are your own God. The idea that you have it all figured out, or at least enough to get by. That's what you're repenting from. And so we have to answer the question, what is this belief thing? What is faith? What does it mean? I'm I'm gonna put it out today like this, because I could quote Hebrews and we could go into what faith is. But really, let's talk about this. There's a correlation, a big time correlation between repentance and faith. You can't separate the two things from each other. Because to repent, if you're gonna repent of something, if you're gonna turn away from something you're doing, if you're gonna turn away from something you believe in already, right? There must be a greater truth to you, something that is more true and more real, that's worth turning away from what you already believe to believe in it. So to to believe in something is to deny everything that stands in opposition to it. And what I mean is this, if I believe in one thing, like this is the, what my, I like hold true, then that means I repent of any other thing that's different from that, okay? Repentance and faith go hand in hand. So what does the repentant person look like? The rest of the parable says this, but the tax collector, excuse me, but the tax collector standing far off not right up in the middle of everybody, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What does the repentant person look like? They are broken because they are so keenly aware that they are full of sin and wicked. They know the consequence. You see what word he used? Woe is me. He knew that he stood before a just and holy God and he was not just and he was not holy. And he stood possibly right in the middle of the judgment and wrath of God, the hellfire and brimstone. So in like insane amounts of just get me there, I wanna bow down and pray to God and say, woe is me, woe is me. Please have mercy on me, God. The unrepentant person is self-validating, self-justifying, and self-righteous, but the repentant person, they need justification. They need validation. They need righteousness that's not their own. Who are you today? Have you repented of your own way? Have you turned to Jesus and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? The outcome for you, if you do not, is woe. It is death. And the way that you think is best for you right now is actually killing you like a poison. You drink every single day and you're not even aware of it. You feel like you're satisfied by it. You don't want to repent because you enjoy your life. You don't know what joy is until you live with God. Like a bad drug, it's got you hooked. You see as something that can satisfy you, it will only ruin you. It will only lead you to death and woe. But there's good news. Because for those who repent, for those who believe on the Son, for those who say, I surrender to you, Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. The outcome for you is rest. Because right after he talks about this unrepentant city that's gonna be judged, he says this. At that time, Jesus declared, this is Matthew eleven twenty five. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And this is the greatest thing that you can hear today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You think that giving up control of your life makes you a slave? Jesus is in the same yoke with you. He is doing what you cannot. He is making up for all the weakness that you have. He's doing all the work. See, rest is the promise for those who believe. And it is completely opposite of woe. There's three people in this room, and we'll finish up. You might be in here and you've never believed on Jesus. There's never been a time in your life where you're, like, whether it's because you hate him or whether it's because you've never heard of him, whatever it might be. If that's you here today, repent. Repent and believe for the first time. If you're sitting in here and there is something happening inside you, like something is moving inside you that you cannot explain, I promise, I promise that it is God because conviction because repentance, faith, all those things are gifts from God. You can't just muster it up on your own, right? He makes you aware of your sin. You are dead in your sins and trespasses, so you can't notice at all that you are sinful. Why? Because dead men are just dead, they don't do anything. So if right now, in your heart, there is a heaviness over your sin, that you are, there's like a spotlight on you that you cannot get away from. You know deep down inside of you that there is no hope for you, that woe is you, that your sin is killing you. If you are even aware of that right now, then God is working in your heart. He is pursuing you right here and right now. He is saying to you, this is terrifying, but here's my son Jesus. Reach out and believe on him. Repent of what's gonna kill you and have abundant and eternal life in my son. If that's happening within you right now, you know what the Bible says? Simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here, now, in this moment, right now, I'm talking to you. Talking to you, you're in here. I know you are. I'm not trying to get some crazy reaction out of you. I am warning you of what is to come. What this book says is to come. And if something is stirring in you right now, do not dismiss it. It is real and it's the work of God. There's good news for you. He wants to save you. The next person in here is this. You're in here somewhere too. <laughs> to those who say they've placed their faith in Christ for salvation, but they've never really surrendered to him as Lord. See, true faith, the faith that saves you, it's also accompanied by true repentance. And if the fruit of repentance is not evident in your life, then more than likely your faith is not in Jesus. If you walk down some aisle when you were a kid, said a prayer, and I'm not trying to like make anybody doubt what God has done in your life at all, but if, if you've had this, these moments where you're like, man, I really wanna be better, so man, this Jesus thing, it sounds pretty good, or man, I'm really scared to go to hell, or I'd really like to go to heaven, so I'm gonna say this prayer, I'm gonna invite Jesus into my heart. Oh, now I'm good. But you continue living your life on your own terms, you continue living your life like you are God, you refuse to surrender, to his lordship, you're fine with your sin. I'm talking to you. 
See, there's only two opinions. Jesus is either Lord or he's not. He's not your insurance policy. And he requires that you die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Here and now, I'm talking to you. There's good news to you. Following your own way, what you think is fun and satisfying, what you desire, I promise you, it's only leading you to misery. It's only leading you to woe. It's killing you. you will, it will kill you. You will die. His way, it leads you to abundant life and to rest. So my call to you today is this. Repent. Repent and believe. Surrender your life to him as Lord. He's not gonna turn you away. Like He's not gonna be like, oh, no, you've been too bad. He's not gonna turn you away or leave you or forsake you. He's gonna give you joy and he's gonna give you life. Today, will you repent and believe? And to the last person in here, to you, the believer, the one who was like, amen in me earlier. There's two types of you. And I'm both of these, by the way. Just admit it. I'm both of these. Because if you're in here and you're thinking, man, I've already got all this, all this stuff you're saying, I got it, yeah. I got that, no problem. I'm already saved, man. I've placed my faith in Jesus. And you're not telling me anything that I don't already know. So you must not be talking to me. This sermon wasn't really for me today. It's for all these sinners around me. I want something deeper, man. I would say this to you, you need to repent because you sound eerily familiar just like that Pharisee. You know who Jesus had the biggest problem with? Church folk. See, a disciple's life to follow Jesus, it is a constant cycle of repentance and faith over and over and over. That's what you've been called to. There's nothing that's deeper than that. Following Jesus is a daily exercise in it. Repentance and faith. Why? It's because the same gospel that saved you is the only thing that will sanctify you, empower you, transform you. You still need Jesus today as much as you've ever needed him. You will see no growth, you will see no satisfaction, and no fruit without Jesus. So what do you really think that deeper means? I wanna get deeper. Now I learned this stuff when I was eight years old. I got it, baby. I know all the verses. What do you really think deeper means? You being better or smarter? It's me a lot of times. You wanna be more holy? See, more than likely you think that you can get by on your own effort if that's what you want. But everything that God's given you to grow the Bible, prayer, service, obedience, every single one of those things is actually intended to lead you to repentance and faith in Jesus. To show you that on your own, you're insufficient, you're broken, you're weak, you're unable, and you're in need. That's what all those things do. And left to yourself, I promise you, woe is you. But you've not been forsaken because all you've ever needed has been provided by Jesus. He is your rest, rest in Jesus. Our desire to delve deeper into God is a great thing, by the way. I'm not discounting that you want to do that. It's wonderful. As long as deeper means an increasing affection, satisfaction, and joy as you surrender more and more of your life to the Lordship of Jesus every day, that's deep. That's deep. One more. For other believers, and you might be in here, I do this too. Man, you're super aware of your sin. Just like that tax collector was, you're super aware. You're, you're this person who like is repenting constantly. But really what is happening, you're struggling to believe that Jesus is good enough to forgive you, that he's good enough to renew you. You live in self-deprecation like feeling the weight, some kind of debt. You think you owe God? You think you could really pay him back? <laughs> See, and you believe this big lie that your identity is completely defined by your failures. 
Your guilt and your fear has made you its slave. That's not true repentance, guys. True repentance, it brings freedom. It imparts joy. So if you're here today and you're that person who feels like they'll never be good enough for Jesus, <laughs> you're not, but that person who is constantly living in this, oh God, I'm, I'll be better. I'm so sorry, I'll be better. Constant, constant, constant. You need to repent. You need to believe today that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that Christ has given you his righteousness. You can't earn it. You can't earn his love. You can't lose it either. You're a child of God. Today, rejoice because you've been set free. You might be here today and you're miserable because you have the wrong view of repentance. There is joy in repentance. For everyone in this room, I'm gonna tell you this. There is joy in repentance. Today, as every day, God is calling us to repent. What are you gonna do? Today, will you repent and believe on the Son, Jesus? He is the one true God. He died on a cross for you. He was risen from the grave three days later, defeating death and conquering sin. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I am not just talking to you, person who's never believed Christian. I'm talking to you every single day, in every moment of your life, in every sorrow and trouble and trial and sin that you struggle with. If you would believe today on Jesus, he is faithful and just to deliver you again. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, my prayer is this, that through all that stuff I just said, that it just kind of, anything that was just me, fades away completely. God, you call us to respond to you. Jesus demands a response. We can't just not. So as we enter a time of response now, God, as we take communion it is an outward symbol of repentance and belief. God, show us how much we need Jesus today. Not just today, but tomorrow. Show us how much of our need that you've met in him. It's in Jesus' name, amen.